We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays, because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void or prohibited. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast, sponsored by Draft, the only app offering daily fantasy snake drafts. It is Monday, January 16th. I am joined, I'm Nick Whalen, I should say, I am joined by Rotowire's Andre Snellings. Andre does uh, a lot of our writing for the basketball portion of rotowire.com, does a lot of our DFS content, uh, and appears in podcast, radio, video, just about everything. Uh, Andre, <laughs> thanks for taking the time to join me. All right, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So it's Martin Luther King Day, and as NBA fans, that means that we get basketball all day. Um, we had Hawks-Knicks as, as the, the noon start for 
uh, for me here in Madison. I guess that'd be a 1 p.m. start for you uh, in the Eastern time zone. Hawks win that one, 108-107. Knicks, I believe, have now lost 11 of their last 13. Um, They were without Porzingis in this game. They brought Courtney Lee off the bench. Um, Things seemingly going, going south quickly for the New York Knicks. And that has kind of brought up the the question that's been lingering for a while, but I think, you know, the the cries are getting louder now that do the Knicks rebuild? Can they rebuild with Carmelo on the roster? And if not, should Carmelo Anthony, who's always said he's not going to do this and hasn't even considered it, should he maybe, maybe, maybe think about waiving that no trade clause? Because it might be getting to the point where it could be better for both sides uh, if he moves on. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the Knicks have always been kind of an interesting dynamic this year because on the one hand, in Porzingis, they've got one of the best, young, brightest pieces in the NBA, you know, as far as uh, someone to build around. But then they surrounded him with, with all of these kind of older vets, you know, um, Carmelo being the main one, but they brought in Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah. And, you know, these are all players that were big names in the league, you know, five to 10 years ago. And so, um, you know, it, it was kind of a, it, I don't know, it was kind of a, a, a philosophy difference. The question was, well, okay, will the, will they be, if they were competitive enough to contend now, then maybe you could argue that, well, having the best there is a good thing because it, it brings them into contention and that'll grow Porzingis faster. But instead, as you pointed out, they're losing and losing more rapidly as time goes on. So if you're going to be losing like that, then these bets really kind of get in the way. Um, Carmelo, he he needs to be the centerpiece of the offense if, if, if he's going to be as effective as he can be. But for the Knicks' future, they need everything, I think, to be about Porzingis. And then Derrick Rose, he's a, a rental anyway. And, you know, last week he came out and said he wanted a max contract in the offseason. So, I, you know, as far as I can tell, there's no reason he should be there moving forward in the future. And, and then Noah's just getting older for this type of play, the style of play he has. So, yeah, I think for the Knicks franchise, the best thing would probably be to just scrap it and start over around your young pieces. You got Porzingis. Um, if you could move Rose, you've got Jennings there as another point guard that can keep things you know, going in the meantime. Um, they've got that other rookie. I guess they moved him into the starting lineup today, the, uh, Kuzminskas, you know, who I guess from what people say, he's a, a natural-born scorer. So I think they'd be better off <laughs> to see what happens you know, um, with the young guys and just kind of see if, if they can get <laughs> 75 cents on the dollar for the vets. Yeah, I agree. You know, See, the thing is, it's, it's not like, you know, the Knicks started off the season pretty respectably. I think they were as high as third in the East for you know a week or two. Um, you know, we're probably a month away from that. Um, you know, when that was the case, I mean, they were fourteen and ten at one point, and you know, certainly that's not a great record. But in the Eastern Conference, that's a record that you know can get you fourth or fifth place. But it's not like this team you know started out and they were like twenty and five or something like that, and now they've hit this rough patch. Like they were never that good. You know, even with Carmelo playing well, even with Porzingis playing well, like. The ceiling for this team when everybody's clicking is five or six games over 500, maybe. And, you know, to me, it's like, is that really worth it? I don't know. Um, you know, the Knicks have kind of been through every possible, you know, up and mostly down situation over the past 15 years. You know, 
it's not like in you know Miami where you could kind of sell to the fan base like all right it, we kind of have to enter this rebuild you know we went all in for basically a decade we got three titles out of it bear with us like with New York this is just on and on and on and I, I think they just need to find some sort of solution and you know these stop gaps that they seem to keep trying over and over bringing in guys like Noah bringing in Rose um, and even to some degree Carmelo Anthony just haven't worked and I do think it would be easier at this point if this is one of the things they're concerned about. I don't know that it is to sell a rebuild to the franchise, right? Because if you're if you're a smart New York Knicks fan, an informed New York Knicks fan, you don't look at this team and think, "Man, we got to we got to keep this core of Noah, Rose, Mello, and Porzingis together." Right, right, yeah. No, I, I agree with you entirely, and I, I feel like you know because the Knicks are one of the glamour franchises, they've got like a deep and relative and intelligent fan base. I mean. They've seen, you know, these last 20 years or so of, as you were pointing out, whether it's, you think of them as retreads or, you know, Chris Liss always calls them bringing in guys past their prime and, you know, hoping that, that they can strike some magic with it. And then also just kind of always bringing in the same type of player. Like when they bring in these these uh, older vets that, you know, used to be superstars, they're always scorers. Like they never bring in anybody that's balanced. It's always old former scorers whose who's glory is kind of starting to fade a little bit. So it makes it – I feel like the, the, the Knicks fan base have seen this, and they know this doesn't work. They're like, we, we, we saw it with Isaiah running things. We've seen it, you know, for the last generation, two generations. It, it's just not going to work going that way. And in today's NBA, you're seeing teams that are built the right way around this fresh young talent um, – shoot to the, the the front of the classroom right i mean the 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 the, the, the uh, warriors before durant were all homegrown young talent that initially weren't you know on draft night people didn't say oh they're about to change the world but they saw that curry and thompson and draymond they could do things in a different way that that could kind of change the league and i think with Porzingis, the Knicks have someone that can to do that, can be that, you know. And so, and I feel like the fans know it. They Knicks fans love Porzingis now. They hated him draft night, but they love him now. And so, with, with that being the case, I think that management could, you know, sell a, a rebuild. Like, look, you know, this guy's the future. We're, we're going to make it point blank. Period. This is what we want to be. Let's get, you know, some of the other things out the way. The hard part is that that Melo has that no trade clause and. I think I read a couple of days ago, um, it was a rumor because it wasn't a quote from him, but that he supposedly would only accept the trade to two teams. One of them was like the Clippers and one was somebody else. I think it was um, Cleveland. Yeah, was it, was Which is Cleveland bizarre because like, the whole reason that everyone believes he doesn't want to waive the no trade clause is because he loves New York so much. You know, he's, a, he's an right. East Coast guy. His family loves New York. His business interests are based out of New York. Uh, but I guess the, the chance to play with LeBron is enticing enough, uh, and the chance to play with Chris Paul, I mean, we know the friendship there. Um, Cleveland's not doing that, right? I mean, the right. only the only conceivable way that would happen is basically if you flipped love for Melo, and you know, maybe maybe around this time last year, that was like something that seemed realistic. I don't see why Cleveland would have any interest in doing that now. The Clippers are a little more interesting, and. I want to talk about this just because I, I think it's just an intriguing topic. You know, I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know that it would honestly benefit either side because I think I'm higher on Blake Griffin than a lot of people are. Uh, but that would basically be the framework of the deal, right? Is Mello 
you know, for some sort of Blake Griffin related package, maybe the Clippers have to give up another minor piece. Um, we'll see just, just because Blake is expiring. You, you could argue there's a little bit, you know, less value there, even though he's a better player right now. Um, I mean, did you think Carmelo could experience some sort of hypothetical rebirth, you know, playing in that Clippers system with Chris Paul? No, for the simple fact that I don't think his original birth was maybe as valuable as as he was perceived at the time. I mean, Carmelo is a a, a ridiculous one-on-one ISO scorer. You know, he he can work the mid-range on out. He's big. And and, and so as a scorer, I always remember um, back in the day, this cat named Walker. uh, I can't even remember his first name, but but he was like this high-flying cat out of college. And uh, he had this uh, YouTube meme of somebody uh, interviewing him about his favorite player. And he was like, I like Melo because he's wet all the time. Wasn't the greatest word choice, but he was saying essentially like he, he can always score. But he doesn't do the other things in the game that a team needs their superstar to do. You know, he's strong in, in any other. He's not a strong defender. He's not a strong team offensive player. He's not a great person to run the offense through because it's all going to go through him. And so I project him out to that, that Clippers team. Um, I don't think he could replicate what, what Blake Griffin does. You know, Griffin gets a lot of flack, but he does a lot of things for that team. He's not just scoring, he's rebounding. Um, you know, he's, he's a, a secondary hub on offense. You know, he's, he's able to, to really distribute the ball to teammates and get them open shots. And I just don't think Melo could do that. So I think that would be a poor trade for the Clippers. I feel like, honestly, that that the type of deals that you laid out are what the Knicks would want and what their the Knicks fans that might be pulling up the trade uh, the, the trade tools online and say, okay, who can we get for them? I think that's what they would want. I think more more realistically, if Melo is dealt, especially to that type of team, they're not getting a foundation piece back. You know, they're mm-hmm. you know maybe get cap space. Um, if, if either of those teams have any uh, draft picks that they've uh, stockpiled from somebody else, maybe they can get those. Um, but I, I don't think this is – Melo's not the type of player that when he's traded at this stage of his career brings back a heavy haul. I think at this point when he's traded, he brings back – I don't know, though. I think, I think he would. I mean, if he can get you Blake Griffin or if he can get you – you know, a, a, a couple of prospects from the Celtics, assuming they were there would be interest there. Like, I don't know. I think he could still bring you back quite a bit. Like Blake Griffin, in my book, even if you're only getting him for half a season, it is a pretty big haul. No, that'd be a monster haul. That's my point. Like, why yeah. would the Clippers do that? Like, why would that even? Oh, no, I agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> I think if you're the Clippers, you would only do that, you know, in, in kind of an effort, I guess, to mix things up for the sake of mixing things up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't I, I don't see especially these days when all the teams have these um, analytics people in the front office, um, you know, a, a, a mellow for Griffin type deal is something that I can see uh, Isaiah Thomas agreeing on in like, you know, the early 2000s where it's just like, hey, you know, that boy can score. Let, let, let's trade for him. But, you know, in, in this kind of newer NBA where the basketball nerds like me crunching numbers, you know, Melo's just not on that level, and and not only is he not on that level, but he's older now. So I don't, you know, I don't know if, if Blake is is ideally who they want in LA, or if they might eventually move on from him. But if they do, 
it would be ridiculous for him to move on to from him to Carmelo Anthony. Like I don't, I think that's a non-starter. Okay, so you wrote uh, your latest Hoops Lab article that went up on RotoWire.com earlier today. I read through that this morning, um, and you addressed the the idea of the Wolves' future versus the Bucks' future, and this is a topic that's kind of in my mind going to be forever linked just because of the Wiggins and Parker draft you know in 2014 those guys going one and two um, you know two guys who had basically been at the top of their high school class for several years they were both stars in college at major programs like they, they've developed I wouldn't say it's a rivalry at all because the NBA really the, the way the game works I, I guess today is just kind of devoid of rivalries and um, and you know the, the two players themselves aren't, aren't vocal guys or anything like that but I think for you know, NBA nerds and, and stat heads like us, you're going to always be comparing these two guys. And, and they've followed kind of remarkably similar career paths thus far. And granted, we're, we're still very, very early in both players' careers. But um, a lot of ups and downs already. Parker, obviously, having the ACL injury uh, kind of skews things a little bit. Um, but But this is a topic that a lot of people have talked about. I think going into the season, there was really no doubt that I think if you were to rank, you know, the the top assets uh, for the Wolves and for the Bucks, Towns would have been number one. Giannis was probably two. Uh, Wiggins, I think, would have been three, pretty firmly ahead of Jabari Parker, uh, who would be four. You know, Zach Levine's mixed in there somewhere as well. But to this point in the season, um, you know, how much have those those kind of miniature rankings, I guess, changed for you? Yeah, yeah. No, it's really interesting, and and it it, it there there's kind of multiple levels to it, right? Because um, I remember maybe I'll start in Vegas. So a few years ago, the, the year that Wiggins and Parker were, were drafted, um, you know, we were in, in Vegas as, as Rotowire always is, uh, uh, during the summer league. And, you know, I was trying to scout, uh, I wanted to see what Parker looked like, you know, I wanted to see what it looked like in person. So I went to, um, a Bucks jazz game. And I think that same year that, that Parker was drafted, uh, the jazz had drafted Dante Exum. And I think the year before that, they had gotten Trey Burke, who was, you know, the player of the year in college that year from Michigan, which is where I'm, in, where I'm from. So I had all these young players I wanted to see. And then I get to the game and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, whose name I couldn't even pretend to try to announce it, I mean, pronounce at the time. And then, um, you know, on Utah, it was uh, their, their, their big man. Um, oh, the French guy. Why am I blanking? Rudy okay. Gobert. Yeah, the two of them just took over the game. It just kind of came from nowhere that I went to see these these rookies play, and all of a sudden, the, both of these guys, I think, had already played one year in the NBA, but they were just, it was like electric how much better they were than everybody else. And their attitudes and the way they started going at each other once they recognized that they were the two best players on the court. That I, I came away from that game, and at the time, I didn't have the Hoops Lab blog, um, so I was really just tweeting, but I was tweeting like, seriously, you know, fantasy, uh, fantasy, or just NBA uh, players, uh, fans in general. You guys need to know the names of the Greek freak and Rudy Gobert. They're going to be great. And so now I fast forward a couple years to to what we're seeing today, and you know, Giannis has kind of jumped to the front of the classroom, right? Because yeah, I, I do think that Jabari Parker and Andrew Wiggins are are tied together and kind of always will be, um, but. I think Giannis and then, as you pointed out, Towns have jumped over them as the franchise players for their respective teams, which makes them kind of the more important end of the the, the debate. You know, um, 
because Wiggins and Parker are kind of looking more like secondary pieces. And so um, with Giannis, I actually just wrote an article on him that ran on the Hoopslab blog, you know, hoopslab.rotowire.com. And I've got another piece that's going to run on him a little later in the week that you'll also be able to see on the blog or on Nylon Calculus. But just kind of like tracing his history and how he got to where he is and just how absurdly fast he's improving. This isn't normal. It's not normal for a player to get this good this fast. He just had a 22nd birthday. Um, when he was drafted, he was one of those that came late to the NBA. I mean, came late to basketball. So he wasn't supposed to be, he wasn't even supposed to be coming to the NBA until about now. The thought was he was a stash prospect. You would draft him, let him, you know, get some seasoning in Europe for a few years, and then maybe he comes over now as a rookie. Instead, he's a very viable, if not MVP candidate, he should get some votes for MVP this year, you know? So he's absurdly good. And then, you know, his counterpart in this comparison, Towns, you know, he was the rookie of the year, and he certainly looks like he could be, you know, in this next generation of, of dominant NBA big men. So um, I think the two of them are just really, really interesting. And it becomes a case of, well, what do you want to build around? Do you want this? Oh, my gosh. I'm watching the Bucks play right now. Giannis just threw a half-court pass, one-handed off the dribble, threw about six players to get to his man at the rim to set up what would have been a layup, but the guy got fouled. But, I mean, you know, that kind of talent, like, it, it's it's NBA game change worthy. So do you want to build around a guy that could be the the next generational star, but that also has some very specific limitations to his game? You know, to build around him, you have to bring in shooters. You know, to build around him, you, you have to have players that can operate off the ball because Giannis needs the ball in his hands. Um, is that what you want? Or do you want a guy like Towns who, you know, his talent is just as strong, if maybe not as unique, but you can build a traditional team around him. It doesn't matter what kind of pieces you put as long as there's 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 a talent there. So I think it's a really intriguing uh, uh, comparison. Yeah, uh, for sure. I still don't know if there's a right answer. You know, would it, would it really shock you if we get to next season and, and all of a sudden Towns, you know, takes another step forward and he's right there with Giannis? I, I don't think that would shock anybody. I, I think the int- the more interesting debate to me is almost Parker – uh, versus Wiggins because I mean these are two guys that on a nightly basis can look like you know a top 10 player in the NBA mm-hmm. uh, I shouldn't say on a nightly basis on a given night you know not night to night um, but but there are certain nights I mean we, we saw Jabari Parker put up 10 rebounds nine assists uh, had only eight points uh, yesterday against the Hawks but I mean that was a part of his game the the passing specifically um, that just wasn't there last season at all. I mean, he was he was rarely getting more than two assists in a game, and that's not really an exaggeration. Uh, you know, the steps that he continues to make have been really impressive. Wiggins, he's been a disappointment, I think, overall, and part of that has just been, you know, the, the, the Timberwolves record has been a disappointment, and I think people look to assign blame, but... You know, if you told if you told the Timberwolves three years ago when they when they picked Wiggins that midway through his third NBA season, you know, he'd be shooting thirty four percent from three, forty five percent from the field, and averaging twenty two points per game, I think mm-hmm. he'd be pretty happy with that, right? So I mean, there's right. some deficiencies. Certainly, the defensive end, I think, is where Wiggins maybe hasn't quite lived up uh, to the potential, and then you know the the physical you know freakness that he is uh, that, that profiles so well on that end. Um, but I think both he and Parker have been very, very good. And I think that's probably putting it lightly. I've been more impressed with Jabari just because I think I set the bar a little bit lower for him, 
um, and the aggression that he showed this season is is certainly encouraging. Um, but but the, the Wiggins versus Parker debate, I think, is going to go on probably for the rest of these guys' careers. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think that because, you know, going into that draft, um, they went one, two. And then, of course, the real freak of that draft, Embiid went number three because he was injured. But, um, you know, Parker and, and Wiggins, there was a push at the time that Parker maybe he was the better, more polished player at the time and that, you know, maybe he should be number one overall. But Wiggins ended up going number one because of that kind of freakish athleticism that you mentioned. It, it gives him, at least on paper, an upside that, that Parker doesn't have. Um, and I think you're right that Wiggins has not reached that upside yet um, because his game has been a bit too one-dimensional. And um, I've, I've written about that in the past, too. And so the, the question kind of becomes, you know, over the next decade, essentially, will Wiggins ever learn to maximize his potential? Um, I think because he plays swing man, and then, you know, but he has height almost like LeBron. You know, he's 6'9". He's got a vertical about like LeBron. I think a lot of people saw that when he was coming up in high school and said, hey, this guy's going to be the next Jordan. I mean, that's what they called him. He was from Toronto. They called him Maple Jordan. And then when he was being drafted, they said, oh, well, maybe he'll be the next Kobe, you know, because – but I think what we've seen so far is that's not his game. That's not he, – he doesn't have the ball handling and natural – team offense uh, instincts that, that Jordan and Kobe had, that if he continues along this path as an offensive player, that his upside might be the very Carmelo we were just talking about. And we were just talking about how that upside maybe isn't as high as, as people would have thought it was back in the day. You know, that just being a pure scorer isn't enough to be a franchise player on offense. And so to me, where I think – Wiggins could surpass Parker in the long term is if hopefully his coach or if he himself recognizes that instead of trying to emulate Jordan and, and, and Kobe, which doesn't fit, if he instead emulated somebody like Kawhi Leonard and said, okay, you know, I'll be a, a 20 point per game scorer, um, but you're not going to necessarily run the offense through me. You know, I'll be more of a finisher on offense. Um, really work on those three-point percentages and, and being able to attack off the dribble for one-on-one. But have his primary or at least a strength of his game be his defense. You know, use that athleticism. Um, start putting – I think when he came to the NBA, in some ways it kind of hurt him on this front because he came in and was told right away to be the offensive centerpiece for the Timberwolves. And so I think that's where he put his energy and focus. But if instead they could say, you know what, we've got town. We've got Levine, um, be it Rubio, who's on some, you know, been back to double digit assists every night or, you know, somebody else. Um, you know, they, they, they've got a young point guard they just drafted. Like wh- whoever the point guard is, have those be the offensive centerpieces. Have Wiggins be more of a, a secondary piece on offense, but one of the captains of the defense. You know, a guy who can use that leaping ability to, to get rebounds, which he doesn't do now, to block shots, which he doesn't do now use that length to be disruptive, get steals, which he doesn't do now. If he's able to maximize that part of his game, and I don't know if that's possible, but if he can, then I think he could surpass Jabari. If he doesn't, then Jabari seems like he's better able to use what he's got um, to maximum on impact. Right. I think the physical tools for Wiggins are more impressive, and that's saying a lot because, I mean, we've seen Jabari make some of the more athletic plays 
uh, in all the league on the offensive end uh, this season. But defensively, still a lot of work to to do for both of these guys. I think though, like with Wiggins, wouldn't you rather? at this point in his career like wouldn't you rather have issues on defense than offense like I think it's easier in theory to to kind of sell a guy on the defensive end than it is to say all right you're you know you're three years into your career and you still can't shoot etc things like that like at least the tools are there I think it's a mindset thing I think it's a scheme thing um you know I don't know if playing under Sam Mitchell just you know beat the defensive abilities out of him or what but (laughs) I mean there's no reason honestly there's no reason that he shouldn't be you know, maybe not a Kawhi level defender, but he has the Kawhi Leonard physical tools. You know, there's obviously something within Kawhi Leonard's, you know, mindset and style of play that separates him because there's a lot of really athletic, you know, threes in the NBA and not all of them defend like Kawhi Leonard. But right. physically, you know, Andrew Wiggins is right there. And, and I think, um, you know, there's a, st- a story around this time last year that that came out. Um, and, you know, there were, I think it was like an unnamed team source was was quoted as saying, you know, Wiggins was you know, his work ethic had been questioned. He had been skipping, you know, lifting sessions, things like that. And at the time I remember thinking like, you know, I I just wonder, you know, the validity of that, like, is that exaggerated? And, you know, you look back and you just last week, he's getting called out by his own teammates for his effort on the defensive end. Like there is something to that. Um, but it, to me, it seems like it's a mindset thing rather than, um, you know, a physical ability thing. And, And to me, if you find the right coach and you get the right guys around him, you know, if you unlock the defensive potential that Andrew Wiggins has, I think you know you're you're raising his ceiling as a player considerably. Because you know, right now, is it fair to say he's on like a, a Joe Johnson type of trajectory? Yeah, I mean, well, not even Joe Johnson because Joe Johnson was actually really good at being an offensive hub. He was a good passer. He had decent vision. Mm-hmm. Um, with Wiggins, you know, one thing I will say because I want to be fair to him. I think he has noticeably improved as an offensive player, specifically as a scorer with each offseason. Um, I don't know how much it's translated to his percentages, but he came back this offseason with a much better handle than he had ever shown before, which lets him, you know, operate off the dribble in a better way than he ever has before. And he's knocking down threes in a, in a higher percentage than he ever has before. So all it has to say, you can tell he goes in the offseason and puts in work and comes back better than he was before. Um, but the problem is, is he is a, a great offensive player, if not just about scoring, you know? So, uh, I don't know if you can teach court vision. I don't know if you can mm-hmm. teach passing ability. And so to that, to your point, um, I think defense is, you know, the prefer, it is the area where you would prefer to him to have a little bit of trouble because that is something he can improve upon. And he's on a, a Tom Thibodeau coach team. So you would think that defense should be kind of sprinkled into his his his, his mental lexicon right now. And then the same with uh, until he retired, you know, I thought, honestly, I thought Tom Thibodeau as the coach with Kevin Garnett as like the OG bet on the team would have been perfect for these Wolves because their, their defense is what's been really kind of holding them back. Their offense is, is reasonable, but they haven't learned how to play defense yet. And so, um, you know, the two of them I thought really could, could – help Wiggins and, and, and Towns both to really unlock their full potential. KG's not there anymore, but, but you know, um, Thibodeau is. So at the very least, you know, it, it seems like he still should be an environment that would eventually be good for him as a defensive player because, yeah, that's where he has to get better. Is it fair to say that we maybe overrated 
you know, the ability of Tibbs to turn any group of players into an elite defensive unit. I mean, the Wolves are 23rd right now in defensive rating. It's not like they're, you know, sitting around the middle of the pack even. I mean, they're they're a bottom eight team in the league in defense. I mean, is it is it a, a scheme thing? Is it Tibbs having to work with younger guys, which is something he's never really done in his successful years as, you know, if you go back to Boston, even when he was an assistant there, basically the job that got him the Bulls job was, you know, architecting that, you know, that Celtics defense that had Garnett, it had Ray Allen, it had Paul Pierce, it had, you know, Kendrick Perkins, guys like that. You don't have those type of players right now in Minnesota. You have, you know, 20, 21, 22 year olds. You know, is there something to be said for, you know, Tibbs maybe being better working with players who have been around the league, have a little bit more experience? I don't want to call Tibbs overrated because I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, he has his reputation for a reason, but did we what did we miss i guess when we expected tibbs to come in and immediately shore up this defense i think that word you just used immediately is 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 maybe where where our misconception lied because you're right so this is of the high profile stops for tibbs um his third one right there was the celtics there was the bulls and then there's here Mm -hmm. and i mean he's been a, a coach for a long time but those are his three kind of you know marquee stops as 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 close to the head guy and i think yes his scheme is excellent, but when he got to Boston, yeah, he had Garnett there to be the general to, you know, say, okay, I've got a guy on the court that, that gets it and can make everybody else go where they're supposed to go too. And so I think both Garnett and Tibbs got a lot of credit for that defense. Um, but when you get into the kind of the nerd analytics approach that, that, that I talk about, it, it really centered around Garnett. You know, if, if, if Garnett had to leave the floor or, you know, if he was injured, had to leave the game for, for any extended time, their defense suffered immediately. Whereas when Tibbs left, he left to go coach other teams. Their defense stayed at the top as long as Garnett was there. Um, so there was a bit of Tibbs maybe being credited for things that some of the players were doing. Then he got to Chicago, who didn't have a defensive um, reputation before he got there. But they had some strong pieces in you know, Luol Dang and Joaquin Noah. That Ian Tibbs has a great scheme, so he was able to maximize them, but they were fed at the time. They were able to, to work with his, his scheme. In Minnesota, it was all young players, rookies and, and sophomores and, and third-year guys that have never known how to play good defense. Um, I, it's something else I wrote about this year. Over the last couple of years, when they had old man Methuselah Garnett, he wasn't playing very much, but during the minutes he was on the court, they actually were the number one – they were playing like the number one rated defense in the NBA. Like their defensive rating, their their points allowed per 100 possessions with Garnett on the court over the last two years would have been like number one and number two in the NBA over those two years. But as soon as Garnett left the court, they played like by far the worst defense in the NBA over the majority of the time. So um, my argument then was that they have the physical ability to be able to play defense because at that point in his career – it wasn't like Garnett was an athletic beast anymore. He was just telling the young boys where to be, and they were listening while he was on the court. And so I thought that meant that with Tibbs there, you know, to tell them in practice where to be, that, that they could ramp up faster as a defense. What actually has happened without Garnett there is it's taken them longer to get there. But it's definitely they, – they've shown definite signs even in year one that they're moving that direction. Like you pointed out that they're 23rd in defense right now. Well, as of – when I looked at this to, to write that article in, in December, they were 29th. Um, and, you know, over the next couple of weeks after that, 
that initial initially was an interview. And then I wrote an article about it earlier this month. Um, their defense had significantly improved from like essentially last in the NBA the first couple months of the season. They've been more middle of the pack and higher over the last month or so. And so that would argue that maybe the young guys are starting to get it. That, you know, Tibbs does have a system that works. But, you know, if you're dealing with 21-year-olds, they're not going to get it right off the bat. Maybe it takes them a half a season or a season to get it. But moving forward, they could be a lot better. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. And I, I want to commend you on the Methuselah reference. I <laughs> had no idea that the great Methuselah uh, of biblical fame would make his way onto the podcast today. Um, <laughs> All right, uh, I got to talk about uh, our friends at Draft, the uh, inaugural sponsor of this season's uh, Rotowire NBA podcast. We already know that you love fantasy, so we know you'll love playing on Draft. Draft is a simple DFS app where you can do snake drafts just like the ones you do at the beginning of your season long league. On Draft, it's draft day every day. You can do drafts whenever you want. They last for just one day and they take only minutes to complete. On Draft, you can play for free, or better yet, you can play for money. Get this, your chances of winning money on draft are almost three times better than your chances of winning money on FanDuel or on DraftKings. If you're playing fantasy for money and not spending hours a day doing it, you absolutely should be playing on draft. Join me, download draft now, just search draft, D-R-A-F-T in the app store. It'll come up first right on the top. Be sure to enter our promo code ROTOWIRE when you download and you'll get a 100% bonus up to $600 when you make your first deposit. Again, just search Draft in the App Store and be sure to enter that promo code ROTOWIRE. All right, um, we'll go quickly on this, Andre, because you and I have, have talked about this before on the radio, but All-Star voting closes tonight. Um, you, I think, did I ask you on Saturday about the, the Eastern Conference backcourt? I think we talked about this, right? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit. I think we we spent more time on whether a Golden State was going to get a center uh, into the Western Conference All Stars. Um, yeah, the, we talked about the Eastern Conference back, backcourt too. Um, and I was saying it really, you know, if you go with kind of best individual talent, you might go with a guy like John Wall as a starter. If you go with kind of most accomplished on teams that are playing well, probably Cal Lowry and, and uh, Isaiah Thomas. Um, you know, I think uh, you said Dwayne Wade, as of the last uh, results, was, was up near the top. I wouldn't necessarily have him as a starter if I was the one picking the team. But, you know, it, it's a nod to his, his career value, and he's been pretty solid this year. So, The All-Star starters should be about kind of giving the people what they want, and it doesn't necessarily get me up in arms if, if uh, the very best players aren't always represented. But... Um, I would hope that we wouldn't get Zaza Pachulia as a starter on the team just because he's on a very popular squad. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And, and as you know, I'm as big of a supporter of, of Mr. Pachulia as it gets. Um, but the bigger thing, and, and as we talked about on Saturday, is just you're taking that spot away from somebody. Like I, I don't care. Like I think it personally would be kind of funny if if Zaza Pachulia made the team. But I don't want that to mean that Marcus Gasol doesn't make the team or exactly. Draymond Green doesn't make the team or something like that. So that's kind of the bigger issue for me. Um, in the in the East backcourt, Isaiah Thomas playing as well as he has of late has made things really really interesting. And and the Raptors cooling off a bit, um, you know, kind of sinking more towards that that Celtics level of play than than rising up and and really rivaling the Cavs who haven't played all that well of late. Um, 
I think it's made it a debate. You know, is it Lowry? Is it is it Isaiah Thomas? Kyrie is you know the the second best player on the best team in the East, and then you got Kemba. You have John Wall. Um, you know, luckily I think for for Jimmy Butler, it probably benefits him that he's a front court player. Um, right. Be, because I mean, the competition is fierce up there as well with with LeBron and Giannis looking like locks. Um, so I mean, who are your starting guards? If, if you Andre Snellings are choosing the Eastern Conference All Stars, which two guards are you going with? You know, I think I might give a slightly different answer than I gave on Saturday. Okay. I think I would go with John Wall. Um, and if I was going just on merit, I would go John Wall and Kyle Lowry. If okay. I want to go position position sensitive, I would go John Wall and maybe DeMar DeRozan in the backcourt. But then Giannis and LeBron as my forwards. And then um, at center, uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on East Conference centers. Um is there anybody that, that, that really stands out on, on in the center game? Or actually, the way they I would have said Johnny O'Brien, but he's he's in the D League right now, so I don't <laughs> think I don't think he's eligible. Uh, actually, just named the D League Player of the Week. I wanted to sneak that in here sometime on the pods. So we'll do that now. Um, but is. no, if you're looking at Eastern Conference front court, I mean it's it's three front court and two guards. So you don't actually need right. a center, which is nice. Um, but as of the last returns, which came out on Thursday, Kevin Love was barely ahead of Joel Embiid for that third and final starting spot. That one's interesting to me because I would I give it the Embiid. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, not that Love's not deserving, and not that you know Karma or uh, Jimmy Butler, I should say, is not deserving. But like, where do you think the players and the media go on Embiid? I think, yeah, I think you know people like us who I wouldn't say we're officially media. You know, we're somewhere between uh, you know fan and media and blogger somewhere somewhere in there. We don't have a vote, obviously. Like, I think. I want to see Embiid start this game, but I think if you're an NBA player, like, do you want to see this, this, you know, I wouldn't say brash is the right word, but this, this kind of like jokester rookie. Like, I feel like Embiid could rub some veterans the wrong way. Maybe, you know, he's right. on a bad team. Like, I, I just, I don't know what kind of player vote Embiid's going to garner. And I would imagine that someone like Jimmy Butler or someone like Kevin Love would have a little bit more respect around the league due in large part to the fact that they've just been around longer and have probably interacted with a lot of these guys. Yeah, no, I get good grief. That is young just dumped on somebody's head. Got that. <laughs> um, I'll be I'm the sorry. first and only time we'll say that this year. <laughs> right. I mean, Georgia Tech represent. I mean, he dunked and fled. He got fouled and everything. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think that the NBA veterans tend to gravitate with NBA veterans. So I think that, that a guy like Kevin Love, for instance, is more likely to have a much higher player vote than a guy like Embiid. Um, but I think. Embiid, and I think maybe that's why I would love to see him get voted in by the, the fans, because I think that he, even though he's playing limited minutes, what he's been doing with those minutes is so remarkable that he warrants a position on the team, which is rel- relatively unusual for a rookie. And then on top of that, he's gotten that exciting game. You know, on this weekend, we, me and you were talking about, um, you know, you, you want to have players out there that that are able to put on a good show because at the end of the day this is an exhibition and you got a guy like Embiid who at his ridiculous size is able to shoot three-pointers is able to uh (laughs) we had that famous warm-up uh where he dribbled and went between his legs on the dunk I mean you know he can actually do all of these kind of circus type things and he has the kind of big personality that it fits in as well so is is you know the fan aspect of of, uh, of 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 the game for me. I would like to see him out there because Love is going to be on the team. Like I, I don't think there's any question 
that if he's not voted in as a starter, he's going to end up, you know, picked for the team. But with Embiid, if he's not voted in, I don't know if the same is true. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my question as well. Too, I mean, there's not much precedent for for players on you know 12 win teams uh, to make these All Star teams. And again, as good as Embiid has been, like you know, he's still on the minutes limit. Like the per game numbers won't look as good as they should. Like I, it, it would basically take a DeMarcus Cousins type of situation where, you know, you say like, all right, this guy's been so, so good. We know he's not the reason this team is losing. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, it, it'll be really, really interesting uh, once those numbers are, are finally announced. Uh, last thing we'll talk about is, is the Portland Trailblazers. They lose again, uh, get stomped in Washington. That game just wrapped up a, a little bit ago. Um, 120-101 was the final. The Blazers were down big in this one early. They were they were down 16 at the end of the first quarter, and, and the, the lead had ballooned to more than 25 by halftime. So this was pretty much over in, in about 20 minutes. Are, are the Blazers a bigger disappointment to you than the Timberwolves? Are those still the, the top two most disappointing teams in the West and maybe the entire league? <sighs> I, yeah. So we talked about, I think, in the past, the Timberwolves being disappointing. I think they're disappointing because they had a shot to me to make playoffs. Um, but as we were just talking about earlier, they there are reasons. They're, they're just young. They're really young. And I think our next retirement maybe was a bigger factor than people kind of played in because they really need that veteran leadership. The Blazers, they're disappointing because <laughs> they're disappointing because they raised the bar too high. You know, they were supposed to be a down team last year after Aldridge left, and then they built this team around Damian Lillard that that was able to compete in ways that they weren't supposed to be able to. And so, based on that, and Lillard being young and, and the team being you know young, they were supposed to keep getting better, and instead they seem to have regressed. So I, I would say they're a disappointment for that reason. But at the same token, even after that blowout today, if the season ended right now, they'd be in the playoffs in the West. So. It's, you know, it's kind of hard to make them the most disappointing team. I think part of what they're running into is kind of an identity crisis. Um, because, like I said, last year they built this team around Lillard where he was the offense. He was an offensive engine. And then they surrounded him with a bunch of role players, either shooters or defensive players, to kind of keep the team um, competitive. It was almost like a modified version of what Philly did back in the day with Iverson. Except for, you know, the, the the defensive role players weren't as strong. And Lillard was much more efficient, but just not the freak of nature volume threat that, that Iverson was. But, but, you know, maybe that kind of that format. And what they're running into this year is that um, now, instead of all role players, they actually have starters that kind of coming into their own. You know, C.J. McCollum is also a scorer that that – you know, can do a lot of the things that Lillard does. So the two of them, they have the highest scoring backcourt or one of the highest scoring backcourts in the NBA. Um, but then they don't have much in the way of defense. anymore. You know, Mason Plumlee has kind of come out as their their center that stepped forward out of the, the group of guys they had playing there last year. And he's another really good offensive player. You know, he's he's got he can be a, almost a, a mini offensive hub. He can pass the ball really well. Um, but he's not a defensive anchor. You know, he's not going to be protecting the realm. He's not somebody that's going to be roaming around and intimidating or, or you know, really stopping the opposing defense. Um, you know, they've got Aminu, 
power forward who's a good, really good garbage man, especially for fantasy purposes. You know, he can crash the boards and all those things, but he's 6'8". So he's not, you know, a defensive uh, impact guy in the middle. Um, and then, you know, you've got these two guards and, and, and Lillard and McCollum who are both great offensive players, but neither one of them are really good defenders. And so I think what they're running into this year is their defense is just holding them back. And they have to kind of decide who they want to build around and how do they want to build around them. No, no, totally agreed. I, I think we might have some uh, some technical issues coming in on one of our ends. So hopefully the listeners uh, were able to catch the end of that. Uh, but we'll have to do a little audio magic to try to boost the levels there. Either way, I think that's going to be it for us. Andre, appreciate you stopping by to join. Just a reminder that the podcast is sponsored by Draft, the snake draft platform, where your chances of winning are three times better than on FanDuel or DraftKings. We'll probably talk hoops next Monday. Is that right? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I'll be back. Now that I'm off the XM show on Saturdays, um, you know, we'll have, we'll have to find another time to, to get our hoops chats in. Maybe I'm, I'm actually going to be hosting on Monday mornings uh, with DVR, so we'll try to fit you in as a guest there. Sounds good to me. I, I, I always love talking hoops. All right. Andre Snellings, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for joining me. They're going to kill the love of my life. Yay! If I don't go back to what I was doing this Friday, our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me, then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG 13, maybe inappropriate for children under 13. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.